Greetings, fellow explorers, and welcome to the fourth episode of Geekoscopy 101. It's the science podcast show, um, usually an interview with one person, but this time we have multiple people because we have multiple cool people doing a cool initiative. And I'm your host here today, Yanis, a.k.a. Dr. Kisten, and today we're exploring making cosplays for science with none other than cosplay for science. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Glad to be here. Everyone's surviving the coronavirus, I imagine, somehow. Mostly. (laughs) Yeah, doing all right. (laughs) All in there. So tell us a bit about uh, you guys and what you guys do. So yeah, my name is Gabriel Santos. I'm a collections manager and outreach coordinator paleontologist at the ALF Museum of Paleontology here in Los Angeles, California. Um, I used to study marine mammal evolution, uh, but now I mostly focus in um, educational research, focusing on natural history and deep time. And of course, I am one of the co-founders as well of Cosplay for Science. Yeah, and uh, I'm Brittany Stoneberg. I'm the Outreach and Communications Coordinator for the Western Science Center, which is a natural history museum in the Inland Empire region of Southern California. So um, it's about an hour east of Los Angeles. And I'm also an environmental studies master's uh, graduate student at the California State University Fullerton. And I'm also one of the multiple co-founders of Cosplay for Science. Oh, and I study uh, currently what I study is actually uh, land mammals. Uh, Specifically, I study uh, Miocene horses. So I study uh, some uh, horse ancestors. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Isaac Magallanes. I am currently a graduate student at the University of Chicago. I just started about a year ago, but I'm originally from uh, south of Los Angeles in Orange County. Um, I grew up in Anaheim, and one of the things that I was always interested in as a kid were fossils and uh, sort of by extension science. And one of the awesome things sort of as I got older was I was able to find how to make that into a career. Um, currently, I study the evolution of mammals, and that's uh, encompassed everything from marine mammals to terrestrial mammals that include horses, camels, um, elephant ancestors uh, here in North America. Currently, I'm interested in studying the evolution of hands and feet in terrestrial mammals. Um, That's pretty cool. You guys are all interested in very, I would say, really important stuff to look back at over the, the history of, of evolution and mankind. Uh, but bringing it back to to modern culture, I'd like uh, I think Gabe, you might be the best uh, to answer this. Um, for those who don't know, you might be listening. What exactly is cosplay? So cosplay is a combination of two words: costume and play. Um, and basically, it's where you dress up as a character from a video game, comic book, TV show, anything that's from like pop culture, um, fandom. And you dress up and kind of act like that character. Usually you're at a comic book convention or any kind of pop culture convention. Um, but it's whenever you really just dress up and kind of have fun with it from those kind of characters. Yeah, it's cool. It's If you go to any kind of gay culture convention, you will see um, cosplay there. It's, it's quite big. Um, even here in South Africa, the cosplay scene is, is getting bigger. I think we did send some people... Um, overseas to compete and we got some winners recently um but talking talking about you guys and your initiative how exactly did cosplay for science come about 
Uh, Cosplay for Science started between me and Brittany, actually. Like, the first idea was between us two. Um, so at my museum, we have events called Discovery Days. And so one of the first times I did it, like, without really calling it Cosplay for Science, is um, we had a, uh, a Making Monsters event where we talked about paleontology and pop culture. And I dressed up as Professor Oak um, to talk about fossil Pokemon. Um, so that was the first time I did something that was kind of cosplay related. And then um, Brittany, her museum had a cool idea of going to... Um, which one was it again, Brittany? It feels so long ago. Um, I, yeah, I know. Uh, I believe it was Comic-Con Revolution, which was a local, commu- uh, local Comic-Con here in Southern California. And our museum um, does a lot of outreach booths at events like that. So comic book convention- conventions, air shows. Uh, we really try to go beyond just... Um, typical science venues uh, when we go out with a booth with, you know, touchable 3D prints of fossils, information about our museum. We went to this comic book convention and we uh, asked the ALF Museum to join us. Um, So we had our two museums set up right next to each other at this comic book convention. And I think a couple weeks before we, we went, we were like, what if we, we're all paleontologists, so... We need something to dress up as. It's a comic book convention. So we were like, what if we dress up as Jurassic Park characters? And so uh, staff from both of our museums, we were, and we were both right next to each other, dressed up as uh, Jurassic Park characters for the duration of the comic book convention. And it was a pretty big hit. Yeah, it was kind of like, you know, if we're going to be at a comic book convention, we're all nerds anyway, outside of our jobs. Like we all love nerdy things. We're the Jurassic Park generation. So we were like, if we're going to go, we're going to go big. So we did Jurassic Park. Um, I was Dr. Alan Grant. Um, Brittany was Dr. Ellie Sattler. And all of the rest of our, you know, team and staff members, even the director of Brittany's museum cosplayed for the day. He was... Um, cool. Is he Mr. Hammond? Uh, yeah, Mr. Hammond, it was yes. Mr. Hammond. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thanks, Isaac. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, we do so many cosplays now. I like get yeah. confused on names. Yeah. But yeah. like, basically, after that first event, you know, we realized how easy it was for people to come talk to us when we were in cosplay because they didn't necessarily think we were scientists at first. Um, they thought mm. of us as cosplayers first, and then after we kind of broke down that barrier with our audiences and they realized we were scientists, they were much more inclined to stay and talk with us and share stories. And we were happy to talk about the science. Then it became this really fun thing. And so from there, we're like, okay, this is something. We have an idea. So Brittany and I came up with the first version of Cosplay for Science. And then we invited um, our other colleagues and really good friends, um, Isaac and our other co-founder, Michelle Barboza, who now works at the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles. And together, all four of us came up with like the most, the official version of Cosplay for Science. Okay, that's, that's pretty cool. What are each of you guys' most popular and least popular cosplays at these uh, events? I think that depends on who's talking. For me, yeah. <laughs> our most popular one is our Star Wars-inspired Galactic Archive, just okay. because Star Wars is the best thing in the world. Um, yeah, I mean, That's it's just debatable. awesome. I get That's to dress debatable. up as a Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> I get to, For me, it's awesome. I get to dress up yeah. as a Jedi, and whenever we have that out there, we have so many people who come and talk to us about the natural history specimens we bring that mm-hmm. are related to you know the world of Star Wars that inspired the creatures and the gal- the planets of Star Wars. Um, I'd say for me, that's our most popular one. I don't know what our least popular one is. 
maybe like the one that we've had the least interaction was maybe our Game of Thrones one. I don't know. What do you guys think? The Game of Thrones, but we've only done that one once. And we kind of, for that one, kind of hitched our wagon to the cultural zeitgeist. Since I think when we did Game of Thrones, the premi- the uh, season was ending the mm. next day after we finished it. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, Game of Thrones was a brief one that we did, but I did find that one very fun. That was fun to make activities for. Um, how, d- how did you tie Game of Thrones into um, education activities? Oh, so one thing we did was um, we always do try to have some sort of educational component, um, uh, some sort of activity, something that um, guests can interact directly with. So one thing we did was we had an activity sheet where um, – in Game of Thrones, each family or house has a sigil. Uh, and so we made an activity where uh, kids were encouraged to make their own sigil using Ice Age animals instead of dragons or um, deer or whatever else it might have been. So we would say, here, make a sigil using the Ice Age animals that you've seen on uh, on the table because we had 3D prints of Ice Age fossils um, on the table for them to observe. So something like that. It was that was just a nice, fun activity for them to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Isaac, you've done like a couple with us, right? Yeah, I've done a couple. Um, I would say that for me, the the probably the most successful one was the one we did in Ontario. So it wasn't a part of the original Jurassic Park crew, but I was a part of like I don't know, maybe the second or third time it was done at a, con- a Comic Con. Um, but that one for me was probably, uh, that, that one was probably the most successful. And it was fun because I, like, like Gabe said, I was a part of the Jurassic Park generation. That's definitely what started my interest. But mm. I would say after that, it was sustained by reading and um, sort of uh, walking with dinosaurs and other things. But that one was really fun because uh, there were just a lot of kids who were there. A lot of kids and also a lot of, like, adults who were there and, like, already connected with the with the movies and and with the characters and so being able to dress up as those characters and kind of um sort of uh talk about my experiences as a paleontologist and paleontology in southern california it was really nice to to see people just really connect with that and be surprised at learning how much mm-hmm. of the things that they love in terms of paleontology and the science is actually in their own backyards so that that was that was probably the funnest one for me mm-hmm. What are you guys not too fond about um, in about the Jurassic Park movies? Like, what do you hate that's in there? Oh, okay. We're going to go down this route. Um, <laughs> for me, for me personally, I wouldn't say like, like I have my own opinions on like realism versus believability and versus like what needs to be done for storytelling. Hmm. Um, so yeah, the dinosaurs in Jurassic park are not very accurate, right? They, they're outdated models, at least on the exterior, like some of the body posture is pretty, pretty close to accurate. Some of like their, um, the sizes are wrong or, you know, some things like that. But I think, what I think was the worst, one of the things that I'm most disappointed in a lot of times with Jurassic Park is how it sacrifices believability for um, uh, sensationalism in science sometimes where, you know, they could still, you know, they can still have things that are not necessarily scientifically accurate, but scientifically believable. But sometimes they just go past that and just make these really outlandish things where, you know, it's like, um, I think in Jurassic, 
in Jurassic World, they spliced human DNA, right? In in um, was it the Indoraptor? No, Indominus Rex. Um, and for me, that was just kind of like, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it, it pulled away from the heart of Jurassic Park of like yeah. where the first one was like it was a horror movie, right? Where we we took science, we created these dinosaurs. And then the dinosaurs got loose. It's a it, it's a whole thing about like trying to manipulate manipulate nature and how nature will will just you know you can't control nature in the end really right. And so it was a horror movie about dinosaurs, and that was really cool. But then in Jurassic World, it just kind of felt like it got a little out of hand, and they forgot what they were, what the base, what like what the heart of Jurassic Park was, and that was for me at least. For me with the Jurassic Park, like yes, as Gabe said, some things are inaccurate now. Um, that part doesn't really bother me, honestly, because it's not what Jurassic Park was ever trying to be. Jurassic Park is a, like Gabe said, a horror movie with dinosaurs. Um, and I enjoy it as a piece of fiction, as mm. uh, a really enjoyable movie. So, and it was partially responsible for me being inspired to be a paleontologist. And so that, I think, is more valuable than having it adhere to some sort of old standard of accuracy. Mm feeling that it inspired in a lot of us who are of the age now that are, you know, getting into our careers in paleontology, I think is more important than, you know, just being a hundred percent accurate to what the science said at the time. Hmm. They did, they did well enough. Um, I'm kind of with gay words, like the sequels are the parts where I start getting a little like, uh, I have to hmm. go that far. You didn't have to go that outlandish, <laughs> but if we're just talking about the original, um, I don't really to hold it tight to you know some semblance of accuracy i find it quite enjoyable without that and it feels kind of unfair to fail on a movie that's 30 years old on on mm. its paleontology when we've increased our knowledge so much since then now i do mm. kind of wish uh, i understand in the latter sequels that they've made justifications for it but i really wanted to see like a feathered raptor or a feathered t-rex or something to mm. that effect and i'm still disappointed i didn't get it <laughs> that's okay yeah. get over it <laughs> um so yeah so i enjoyed jurassic park regardless of its accuracy mm. or not because i'm not going to look at a fictional movie which is what jurassic park is for paleontological accuracy mm. Mm. For sure. Yeah. What about you, Isaac? I, uh, uh, so I, I think I share similar feelings for sure. Um, I think one thing that I didn't think of when I was a kid watching the movie, um, or even I would say even five or six years ago before I started uh, going to school to study paleontology, I think I would have now would enjoy seeing a lot more of what it's actually like to be a paleontologist. Um, so if you watch the first movie, um, and I think a little bit of the third, they actually have, although it's not necessarily accurate of all, um, you know, paleontological digs or excavations, they talk a little bit about it or they show a little bit about what it's like to be in the field. But a lot of the later movies kind of don't do that at all. And I think when I was a kid, one of the things I was really interested in was like, why are there people out in the middle of nowhere digging for things and finding just these crazy bones that belong to, you know, these ancient animals in, in the ground. And that was something that really piqued my interest and sort of got me to read, uh, books and look at pictures of actual dinosaur, um, fossils, uh, and then later on other types of ancient animals. 
Um, I think I would probably, I probably would have enjoyed seeing a little more of that, not make it the highlight because at the end of the day, it's about the fun. You know, I watched Jurassic Park because I want to see people running around, you know, running away from dinosaurs. I think that's the fun part. Um, but at the same time, I also was interested with a little bit of the science and it doesn't have to be, you know, the most, you know, I don't need a scientific paper, but I think even just showing a little bit of that process is, is interesting. And, you know, um, even if it's, you know, discussing a little bit about what it's actually like to be a paleontologist, I always enjoyed those parts. So. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, I mean, I agree with you guys that it functions well as a kind of gateway into paleontology and it doesn't necessarily have to be scientifically accurate. Um, and it's not, and obviously our knowledge is changing over time, which means that it becomes less and less accurate as we're going forward. Um, but moving off from the nerdy debate to the geeky debate, how do you guys feel about the Jurassic Park series becoming more actiony and less horror? Nah. (laughs) For me, like, (laughs) yeah, like. For me, I mean, like when I first saw Jurassic Park in theaters, I was four years old and I was so terrified at the Velociraptor kitchen scene that I had to leave because I was just so scared. But also at the same time, because it was so scary and they kind of created this realistic, these realistic dinosaurs, it, it drew me in too, right? The story and everything was just so great and enthralling. Even though I was scared, I still wanted to see it. In the later movies, I, you know, I'm obviously older now. I'm not four. I'm a little less scared of horror movies, but like, I just didn't get that feeling of first wonder and then terror that you get in that first movie, you know? Um, and, and I remember watching Jurassic World and actually leaving the theater very disappointed because one, I didn't feel any of the wonder that I, that I felt in the first movie. And I actually didn't feel scared. I just felt like I was watching a big budget action movie. It did have fun moments. Don't get me wrong, but it just, it didn't pull me in. And so I miss the horror element of it. Um, there, there's a lot that comes, there's a lot of artistry that goes into creating good horror. And these last movies just haven't been able to reach that level. Yeah. Definitely not. I wouldn't even argue that latter movies are in the same genre as the original. Like you said, Jurassic Park itself is very much a horror movie. It's not an action adventure movie. Um, and the narrative that it paints is uh, from the horror tradition. And so I don't consider the latter movies like Jurassic World um, in the same genre as the original. Um, and yeah, I've watched the original Jurassic Park second one. And the third one, somewhat, so many times. <laughs> um, I was slightly too young to see the original Jurassic Park in theaters, but I saw Lost World in theaters when I was like four. And uh, I know it's not as good, but I love it anyway. Um, and I've watched those constantly since then. I haven't really watched Jurassic World or its sequel. Um, hmm. So, yeah, I just kind of think I, I view them as two separate genres and I'm not as interested in the action adventure sort of genre that they placed it in. I don't think that that's the best fit for it. Um, I'd be very interested if they had leaned more into the horror elements, which I think they did in the last sequel, but not to the extent that I was hoping. So mm. what about you? Isaac? Yeah, I would say uh, 
I, I think I very much agree with um, what Brittany is saying in that I consider them two totally separate genres in terms of the what the original movie was going for and then sort of what it later became. Um, you know, I, when I go to the theaters and a new one comes out, I, I think I, I very much go with the intention of, I'm just here to see, you know, a movie, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm just here Eat to some see, popcorn, you know, uh, drink dinosaurs some chase cola. people around yeah. and whatever, whatever way that takes place. I'm, mm. I don't leave disappointed because I'm just kind of like, well, I kind of got what I came for. Right. Like, um, but I, I certainly agree that I would very much enjoy a return to the horror aspect of it because I think another movie that's different, but also could sort of be classified or definitely is classified as sort of science fiction horror. Although I feel what I'm the movie I'm about to mention adheres so much more closely to that is Alien, and I, I enjoy sort of the the idea of having to creep around and be afraid of when the monster is going to pop out. And I think the original Jurassic Park did that more and did it more effectively. Um, so either way, I think I, I, I leave sort of coming with what I look for, but the originals um, specifically the first one, I think are, are for me the better movies um, because I, I like that aspect of what they were. Mm. What other paleontology-related um, media would you guys recommend people view, watch, read? That's not a science oh. paper or a textbook, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think definitely I like to recommend... Um, well, I know people have feelings about it, but Disney's dinosaur the animated one with aladar i actually thought i i really like that movie um Love that movie. sure the dinosaur <laughs> sure some of the dinosaurs have lips and stuff but how else are you going to make a dinosaur talk in animation right it's yeah, not gonna it's, it's not gonna look right if you don't yeah. give him lips yeah, yeah. and i you know they still did a lot of research you know, I was just saying, like, I love, I also love that movie, and sure, they have lemurs and dinosaurs hanging out at the same time, <laughs> which is not accurate, but that movie is gorgeous. <laughs> uh, I love that movie, <laughs> underappreciated. Um, it, it's something that hasn't come out yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, don't know if we'll see it this year or if it'll be next year um, since things are getting pushed back. But I'm curious to see what Ammonite is like. Um, so Ammonite is an upcoming movie about Mary Anning, who was one of the first oh. known known female uh, paleontologists. And um, I don't remember who's in it, but I'm curious to see how it goes. Um, hmm. I don't know how much they'll focus on her actual work. Um, that's one that I'm looking forward to. and. I want to see it really badly. I don't know how it'll be, so we'll see. I could have a completely <laughs> different opinion about it in a year. I'll put it, I'll put it on my to-do list. What about you, Isaac? Uh, so I would say, so I, I think after I, um, so another, another series that I really enjoyed watching that I sort of mentioned is Walking with Dinosaurs. Um, that was always a, a fun one. Um, yeah. It's a little older now that CGI doesn't really hold up, but it's still fun. Um, I, I, I got a lot of my sort of fix for not just dinosaurs, but creatures through a lot of different avenues. And they always sort of got me curious as to like, Oh, what is that based on? And I always try to sort of understand, Oh, if I see, you know, some sort of, um, weird looking creature in a movie, 
you know, where did the inspiration come from? And for me, um, I think a lot of that just came from some of the other science fiction films I watched. And I would often like delve into sort of, um, the makings of those featurettes, but in terms of like sort of dinosaur stuff, I think, or just paleontology stuff in general, um, walking with dinosaurs is always fun. Um, there's, uh, also PBS eons. I have two nieces that I like to watch, um, those, uh, videos with because they always leave interested and they're just always like, what is that? Because it's got good animations. It's got sort of charismatic, uh, personalities that are explaining the things as you go along. So those would be mine. Yeah, yeah. I, I just thought of a comic book. Oh, sorry. Go for it. Um, Ricardo, R- Ricardo Delgado's um, um, Age of Reptiles is an amazing comic book um, illustrated by the great Ricardo Delgado. The, the illustrations in that comic book are fantastic. And there's actually very little text in it. It tells this. It tells like these little vignette stories of dinosaurs living in the age of reptiles during the Mesozoic, and actually some other reptiles like marine reptiles and stuff. And it just you follow the panels of these stories without any text, and it's beautifully done. It, every frame is a painting, and it's just a really really great look into in, into the world of the Mesozoic through an artist lens. And so, if you can pick up Age of Reptiles, I would definitely recommend that. Definitely check it out. Um, well, this won't be that new to our, our viewers because we had an archaeologist a couple of episodes ago. And I did say that before I wanted to be a marine biologist, which is what I am now, um, I wanted to be a paleontologist because of walking with dinosaurs, watching that on TV every Sunday night in South Africa. And that lasted about four years until I realized that dinosaurs weren't a thing anymore. You couldn't find one walking around because <laughs> <laughs> I was a kid. Obviously, I was four years old. Um, but yeah, uh, walking with dinosaurs, I also recommend. Uh, but back to cosplay for science. What are you guys' most highlight moments um, that you experienced while you were cosplaying for science? Oh, so many. Um, for me, I would say. It's it's not this one isn't necessarily a exact science moment, but a lot of what we do with cosplay for science also is you know you know uh, me Isaac and Michelle are both um, you know underrepresented minorities in science. Brittany is a woman in science, right? And so we try very hard to bring representation of us wherever we go as scientists. You know, part of our whole thing with cosplay for science is to show people that a scientist can come from anywhere, right? A scientist, anyone can be a scientist. Um, So my favorite interaction was um, at a pop-up museum. I was talking to this little kid and, you know, just talking about dinosaurs, same old conversation. And he left. I was like, okay, cool. That was great. And then he came back and then the kid was like, oh, excuse me, are are you Filipino? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I've never met a Filipino scientist before. And then he like ran away to his mom and I sat there like, I'm about to cry. So (laughs) that probably is my favorite interaction. That's pretty Uh, cool. I have something similar. Uh, It was talking to the little girl. Um, It was so cute and I was <laughs> asking such good questions and it was the same kind of thing uh i was you know telling her that i was a scientist and she thought that was really cool and she hadn't really met any female scientists um that's always cool is when you can inspire uh little kids but i also i've really enjoyed 
talking to the adults um, that I've met at these kinds of events. Um, so I got into paleontology a little late. Uh, I have a unusual background. So it was cool to be able to tell adults that who often said they loved paleontology when they were a kid and then, you know, kind of fell out of it saying, oh, yeah, that kind of happened to me, too. But then I went back and now I'm doing this for my career. And they're like, oh, that's really cool. They kind of there's this sort of idea that paleontology is one of those sciences that kids are interested in and isn't as relevant to adults. And it's very cool to be able to make adults realize that this is still something they can care about. This is something they don't have to be embarrassed about. Um, This is something that they can also enjoy in whatever way they want. You know, maybe somebody I talked to like now I'm going to change my entire career. But what's more likely is that they're like, hey, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go visit a museum. I'm going to go think about this more. Um, And so it's also great. It's like when I can an adult to also think about paleontology, also think about deep time. Um, and so show them that scientists are super approachable because we're gigantic nerds who dress up in costume. I think for me, um, so it, it's a little different for me sometimes because I live in Chicago and before that I lived in Florida. So often whenever there are cosplay events that are going on in Southern California, which is where Gabe and Brittany are located, I am not able to participate in them. Uh, were I here, I would definitely participate. But um, often what I'll do is I'll be doing some sort of pop-up museum. At the time, I was with the University of Florida when I was doing my master's. Now I'm at the University of Chicago. Often what I do is I tell people about cosplay for science and some of the things that we've done. And I think it's sort of a recurring moment, but I always enjoy when, um, whether it be my colleagues who have, you know, same interests in like nerd and geek culture, or even, you know, younger students that I'm sort of talking to at the museum or at some sort of pop-up museum event, when I show them that like, Hey, we're scientists, but look at the stuff we like to do. They're like, I like to do those things. Or I think that's really cool. How do I find out more about it? And so I really enjoy directing them towards uh, meeting people who share similar interests. And often a lot of those interests overlap. There's a lot of intersectionality there in that, you know, sometimes it's hard to imagine how a, someone who reads papers all day or who is doing science could also like, you know, dressing up as their favorite science fiction character or their favorite, you know, anime character or whatever, you know, whatever it is you're interested in. Um, but showing them, um, that sort of, you know, Hey, you, you can be all these things and, and it's it's so fun, and and this is how you can get involved in science, or if you're interested in it, it's it's just always a great moment because often what I get is like that is so cool. Um, how do I find out more? Who's that? Who's you know who's who's that? Who's that? And I get to tell them, oh, these are my friends. Um, I have two nieces who really enjoy um, watching uh, some of the cosplay stuff that um, Brittany and Gabe do, and as well as Michelle. And I'm always like, hey, check it out. These are my friends, and they're just like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, something that, that Brittany just reminded me of when she said that, you know, younger children are the ones that are kind of interested in paleontology and then fizzles off. And it reminds me of this meme that says that one of the most disappointing things about adulthood is that nobody asks you what your favorite dinosaur is anymore. So, <laughs> so what is everyone's favorite dinosaur? <laughs> That's actually great. And actually, we try very hard to ask that questions to our adult members when they come to the booth because we know how that feels. 
Um, for me, my favorite dinosaur is the Parasaurolophus. Um, that's the dinosaur with the long crest behind its head. And uh, it makes that really cool trumpeting noise. And it, I don't know, it's just such a cool, weird dinosaur. And that crest is such a, such a odd ev- evolutionary feature and how it's, you know, their nasal cavities and the way it, it's adapted for, for sound resonance is just such a cool thing. And I just love, I've loved it since I was a kid because it's such a weird looking thing and I love weird looking animals. And so the Parasaurolophus is definitely my favorite dinosaur. Uh, my favorite dinosaur is also Parasaurolophus. <laughs> um, yeah, I love that dinosaur. I've loved it uh, since I saw Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Mm. Um, but I do wish we would sometimes expand this uh, this question to what's your fe- favorite prehistoric animal? Because in front oh. of that, I like I like a good dinosaur like the next paleontologist. But I have to admit, for me, in front of that is things like mastodons which are these prehistoric elephants ichthyosaurs i have a tattoo of an ichthyosaur because i love them so much which is a marine reptile and i study horses so i love my little three-toed 18 million year old horses so before you get to dinosaurs i have a bit a bunch of favorites but i will say if you're going to make me say which dinosaur parasaurolophus (laughs) is um I'm going to deviate from uh, from my colleagues and say that my favorite um, dinosaur is actually Allosaurus. And it's because of Walking with Dinosaurs. They had a special episode that was dedicated to Big Al. Um, I believe he's from Utah. And I remember as a kid just being fascinated because there was all of this story about injuries that he had sustained. And it was just it, it really painted a narrative for um, not just look at these bones, but you could actually tell how an animal had lived. Um, and I was just so fascinated. I was like, wait, but this was so long ago, yet we can reconstruct their life just by looking at their bones. So I would say, uh, yeah, Allosaurus is probably my favorite um, dinosaur um, because Brittany uh, said her favorite sort of prehistoric animal. I will go ahead and say that my favorite prehistoric animal is probably a walrus, fossil walruses. Um, there's a variety of them. I studied them for my undergrad and I've just been fascinated with marine mammals. But in particular, walruses have a very special place in my heart. It's pretty cool. Interesting. I'll have to go and look up some of these because they don't sound that familiar to me. But my favorite uh, dinosaur is probably, well, the reason why it's funny is because of Power Rangers, watching Power Rangers as a kid <laughs> and identifying with <laughs> with Billy so much. I love Triceratops. That's, yeah. my, that's my favorite. Um, so Triceratops as, is awesome. Triceratops, the best. And the color blue as well. So as you guys are continuing your endeavors and trying to, you know, do outreach and science education to the public, what are some of the, you know, toughest challenges that you guys face um, in this teaching endeavor? Say for me, it's it's just developing our narratives, you know, like trying to make things connect in a way that is very easy for people to understand. Um, Cosplay for Science, we aren't necessarily trying to get people to remember facts at our pop-up museums. That's definitely a bonus. But our main goal with Cosplay for Science is to get people to think critically and practice those critical thinking skills um, by asking, learning to ask the right kind of questions in fictional worlds, right? And then they can take those skills that we help them to develop and bring them into the real world. Um, and so the challenge for me is ha- finding places where we can get them to ask questions. 
um, you know, building the the first iteration of our Star Wars pop up museum, the Galactic Archive, was very difficult because I need I I was having trouble finding places where I can be like, how can I get people to ask the right questions, to think about the connection between science, these fantasy fictional stories, and you know their regular lives, and so trying to do things like, okay, we're on Hoth. How can I get people to think about adaptations to cold with the Tauntaun? And so I started to think about, let's, let's bring bighorn sheep evolution. Let's bring cold adaptations on other animals, compare it to the Tauntaun um, and things like that. And so for me, at least that's kind of my biggest struggle when we're developing our pop-up museums is trying to find where we can easily introduce these, uh, critical thinking moments, I guess. I think sometimes a big, a big challenge in like when you're actually doing the outreach. And I will say most people are, if they're very eager to learn, they think what you're doing is cool, even if they're not super interested in it. So most, most people, if they're not super interested in it, they're just going to walk away and they're going to be like, well, that was neat. Um, occasionally you get somebody who um, will... Uh, something that we face a lot of times, uh, for example, with fossils is a question of, oh, how much is this worth? We are all part of a society that does not encourage the sale of fossils. And so we say, well, they're priceless or something like that. But some people, uh, commercial fossil hunting is a is uh, and a black market um, is something that can happen. And so we have to educate people about that. Um, so generally, there's always a couple of people who, you know, either... Sometimes they think the fossils are fake. Sometimes they want to know how much they're worth and don't see the educational value. So that can be a challenge. Um, but that's a very small percentage in terms of everybody. We see. Most people we see think it's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so, you know, you do what you can with uh, the more difficult people. But that's that's the same as any kind of sort of uh, museum encounter. I think for me... Um... One of the, and, and it's more of just like a personal struggle, I think, is um, so because I'm currently in a PhD program, I saw something very big. And one of the hardest things is just, you know, getting to the party, getting to uh, finding the time to um, to attend museum events. I am a researcher at the Field Museum, so there's lots of um, there's lots of events that are constantly going around, but it can be difficult to sort of find space in between trying to do research, taking classes. Um, but one of the things I really enjoy is that during the summers, I come back home and spend time with my family, spend time with Gabe, Brittany, Michelle, and often there are lots of events that are coinciding with this. So I'm ever, I'm able to hop on and, and, and really take advantage of the fact that I don't have as many distractions, um, as I do when I'm usually at school and when I'm usually doing my other things. So for me, that, that would probably be the biggest struggle is just getting to the party. Um, but, um, also very interested in incorporating um, outreach and education into my degree. So one of the things I'm trying to figure out is how best I can sort of mesh those two worlds because they are very much so connected. It's just about trying to find a way to do it in which you can um, sort of do everything at the same time. <laughs> but yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Time management is always a problem with us uh, scientists. It's, uh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> can't seem to find it you can you can explain you can explain time and space but you can't find it anywhere as a, right? a hard part. i feel like <laughs> even now when like we're working from home in my head i was all like oh i'm gonna have more time to do things but in reality for some reason i'm busier <laughs> than ever 
Yeah, same. Um, what is time? What is time? That is the question. Um, so <laughs> I think, Gabe, you're the only one who did a TED Talk, right? Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure. So what was it like having to give a TED Talk about cosplay? <laughs> oh, man. When I, when, I first, when I got the invitation, it was really cool to be able to just talk about cosplay, right? That was super awesome. Um, I didn't think I would be able to get a chance to do that on a TED stage. And so that was really cool. And then when I got to the actual stage, it was terrifying, first of all, because I, you know, when you do a TED talk, you have to memorize your speech completely. Um, like Brittany and Michelle were there to give me support and help me practice. And it was, we were practicing right before. And then unfortunately, when I got on stage, I, we were doing our Ted talk outside and I was in full Jedi outfit and it was hot. <laughs> it was really hot. Remember? And so as soon as I got yeah, on stage, I, it was, it was so hot. I, I felt like, so yeah, I felt so bad for you because like I was backstage helping him and I was sweating and I was not in a full Jedi costume. I was in like a sundress. Uh, I was like spritzing water and poor game. <laughs> they were like, it's the middle of summer. Let's do this head talk outside in the mountains in the sun. <laughs> but he did great. Have any shade. And so as soon as I started talking, I was so hot and also very nervous because I'm in front of all these people. I'm this is my first time doing a TED talk. I was like, everyone's judging me. There's cameras on me. It's being recorded. I forgot my line immediately. And so I stood there in silence for like 20 seconds, but it felt like hours just like, oh, my God, I forgot. So they let me restart. And then as I kept going, um, it eventually turned from fear to just feeling so cool on stage, especially after I swung my lightsaber for the first time. Mm. I actually okay. felt really cool and I felt very empowered actually being on stage as a Jedi talking about empowering our community and teaching, you know, people about science. And um, so it was this really cool evolution that I felt. But in the end, I was very proud of what I did and I felt so cool and I felt just so honored to be able to talk about cosplay on a TED stage. That was something I never thought I was going to do in any realm. Um, and yeah, it was just awesome. And I still today am just like, wow, I got to do that. That was pretty cool. And I, you know, every now and then I'll, I'll retweet it. Be like, hey, look what I did last year. Look what, <laughs> look what I did. Look what I did. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be bragging. He did, a, he did a great job. It was really entertaining to talk uh, to, to listen to. I was like, I looked at the view count and I was like, why is the view count so low? And this is such an interesting subject. <laughs> Um, Thank you. But when when I was listening about it, I was uh, I was reminded about a concept um, that I heard. I, I forget who the author of, of the book is, but uh, the concept that you know humans are a storytelling species or a storytelling animal, um, and I think that's kind of you know what you are trying to go for is to try and blend stories together so that you can teach scientific uh, principles or just you know. Uh, evidence-based knowledge so how how are you on your journey towards trying to do that oh yeah that's absolutely right like 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 you said humans are storytelling species right our whole all of our culture is based on the ability to pass knowledge right our very first scientific explanations were stories that were passed verbally and so with today our modern 
legends and stories are our movies and comic books and books like that. Um, it's easy to utilize storytelling narrative to not only bestow information, but I learned like last year that when you're teaching, teaching is actually an exchange, right? So uh, us as the science storytellers, we share our stories of science and what we hope to get out of it is an exchange from our audience to give us not only like curiosity, but share their love and passions of whatever they're interested in with us. And we can help bridge and make the connections to the science. Um, so it's like, you know, when I talk about Star Wars, I talk to a, a Star Wars fan is like, I love Star Wars. Did you see this animal? And they're like, what is it about? And then I'm like, yeah, I'll talk to you and tell you what inspired that creature. And the next thing you know, we're talking for 10 minutes about different elements of Star Wars and connecting the science between it. And so, yeah, it's like storytelling is the basis of everything. Even when we write a paper, we're technically writing a story. It's just a very different language. Um, but it's still science storytelling. Everything is storytelling. And actually, Brittany is a journalism major, so she understands this better than any of us in the group. I mentioned earlier I have an unusual background that I actually have a degree, an undergraduate degree in English. Um, so before I even had any inkling in my brain that I would become a paleontologist, I actually um, thought I would become an academic uh, like professor of English. Um, and I still love the humanities. And yeah, that's Part of what I love about Cosplay for Science is it allows me to marry this um, love of story, love of narrative, love of history even, and love of culture with paleontology. Um, I'm very much of the idea that there is no reason for us to uh, separate science and humanity. Um, I think both of those sort of disciplines um, work better together. Um, we can see that in the intersection of science and art when we look at paleo art and scientific illustration. That's an integral part of um, how we communicate science. And I think science can only benefit from the integration of story and journalism and things like that. And so I'm very much a proponent of that. I don't really like the idea that we often uh, carry with us when we educate people saying, like when I was younger, I was very, very good at like writing and history and things like that. And my math grades were terrible. My math and science <laughs> grades were abysmal when I was a child. But I loved science anyway. Hmm. But I was actively discouraged from pursuing it. Um, you know, they were saying, oh, you're, you're not so good at the math and science. So you should think about something else. You're very good at writing. You're very good at history and memorizing dates. Why don't you think about that? And I don't think that services anybody to... Um, to say, well, you're bad at science, so you shouldn't be a scientist. I'm very much of the thought that, like, idea that we have that some people are good at science and some people aren't. Some people are good at writing and some people aren't is only doing us a disservice in the long run. How do you feel about it, Isaac? Uh, I, I'd have to agree with uh, with with Brittany. I think um, so. Similar to Brittany, um, although I, you know, Brittany did her in her undergrad. She did. Um, she had a degree in, in journalism and English. Um, when I, you know, I, I said before that, you know, Jurassic Park was sort of one of the first things that got me interested in dinosaurs. And then I kind of fed into it through reading um, books and, and watching documentaries. My mom would rent from the library. Um, but despite being very interested in ancient life, I was not very good at sort of traditional um 
elementary high school courses i actually didn't do very well in math science um the only thing i really liked to do was read and i remember once i was getting close to graduating high school i was very much not intending on one going to college i didn't really think that it was for me um it was actually a couple of my teachers who really encouraged me and my mom who were like no you should you should pursue college if you want to get ahead in life this is the way you do it and in a way i was almost you know sort of convinced to 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 go to college but even once i went to college um for my undergrad i i didn't it didn't cross through my mind i should do a science major i remember when i was a kid i was interested in in dinosaurs or i was interested in biology it was just something that wasn't on my radar um i started as an english major because i really like to read i like to write but then eventually decided you know what i think what i want to do is i want to be a teacher because when i was in high school my teachers invested so much um energy into me in order to convince me to get where i am now and it's paying off i want to be that for someone else um but I sort of took a geology course and re- remembered, oh my gosh, I really enjoyed doing these things. But in my head, it was a little conflicting because I was like, oh, you know, I, I really like studying, you know, uh, the, the past, but I'm not really good at some of these other parts of science. But what ended up happening was as I took more courses and as I was very much not catering towards being sort of, I guess, this is going to sound weird, but not catering towards being the best student, but more so catering towards my own interests. It sort of flipped a switch in my head in which I was like, oh, I don't have to think of myself as being good at math or good at science. I can just look at myself as being really interested in the past and interested in how you know ancient life was. And because I'm pursuing this interest, everything else just kind of came along. I got better at those other things. I got better at my math. I got better at you know, chemistry, biology, because mm. I was very much pursuing my interests. Um, and it's, it's very funny now because uh, I sometimes my mom tells me, she, you know, she says, you know, if you would have told me when you graduated high school that you'd be pursuing a PhD living far away from me, she's like, I couldn't even have, have, have imagined that because you just didn't have that. You, you, you didn't, you didn't show that that was sort of your primary interest. But I think what it was for me in the end was, it's not that I was trying necessarily to be a scientist or that I always knew that I wanted to be a scientist. It was more so I pursued an interest and a passion. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is kind of what like really gets me jazzed about school. And then those other things, not to say that they were easy, but they came like they, they came along with the territory. I cared about getting bad or cared about getting better at math because I knew that it was something that would help me learn more about ancient life. So what you were actually interested in, yeah. And I think, um, I mean, I had this discussion with um, Nathan Schreiber, who is an author of a graphic novel series called Science Ninjas um, and the Valence board game. And we, like, basically agree that some things in school are just delivered in such a way that it just puts the kids off and they don't actually want to learn it in in any way because it's so dull you know um so that's why i think you know things like having a comic book about learning this principles or having you guys to explain this uh, thing you know in in cosplay so that you have this kind of veil of 
you know, something that is intriguing or wondrous, you know, to look at first before you just get bombarded with facts uh, or numbers, which is not that interesting. And it doesn't really, you know, um, I would say appeal to our storytelling brain because it's just like abstract. Yeah. Um, but on that point, um, because, uh, well, Brittany essentially already talked a bit about this, but what are you guys' view on the proliferation of STEAM, you know, at adding arts into um, important, um, you know, the the broad important knowledge base uh, of STEM? I think it's have, it's so important. It's, it's not even, a, I don't feel like it's a question anymore. And actually, I've always thought that art has been incorporated in science. It's just never been like, really regarded in that sense. Um, you know, whenever we're developing, um, like any kind of graphic or presentation or something, there is art there. Um, paleo art, or it's just, it's just a different way to, to show what we know. It's a different way to communicate, right? Even when for, uh, for us, when we're building a, an exhibit, right, there's a lot of artistry that has to go in there for us to connect to someone, whether we're doing it on an emotional level, whether we're connecting personal on a personal level. Art can help bridge those gaps and form that relatability that otherwise just hardcore science data may not be able to do. Like, you know, for me, when I was doing, when I was still doing more paleontological research, I was looking at, you know, these things called desmostelian teeth, right? The teeth themselves may not, they look weird, but for some people, they may not be that interesting for some people. But I had my brother help me create this really cool paleo art to show their life, um, how they change from a baby to an adult. And then once I got that, it told the story in a very visual way. And then once I incorporated the the data into there, it it helped me to explain the story of these animals much more easily. Um, and so, yeah, I think art is very much a part of science, right? Even in the way that we think about things, the way that we're inspired, um, part of there is artistry in that, you know. Um, it's just it's it's inherent we just never really kind of gave it that that forward thinking or it like it's spotlight as much as it is getting today um but yeah art is very very important for science there is no way that some of the things that we have created or done could have been made without the artistry that the inspiration that comes behind it oh so what i was just thinking is um i love i love history and while historical science has a lot to answer for, one thing that I think we could say for it is that it, it used to be that if you were a scientist, you were oh, often not only a scientist. You were many things at a time. Um, I think nowadays science is very specialized. Um, you know, as paleontological researchers, we kind of fixate on one kind of species, one kind of animal. Um, and that's fine, but I do think there is something to be said for generalism, for being able to focus on multiple different subjects and being able to think about not only science, but also think about art, also think about humanities and, um, uh, books and narrative and stuff like that. So I think that's one thing that we may have kind of lost as science has developed. It's something that we might, might want to try to regain 
um, is that ability to think about things um, as a whole rather than sort of sectioning them out for each person. Um, yeah. So uh, my view on the proliferation of steam, um, I, I love it because I think one of the things that I, you know, one of the things that really, again, brought me into uh, science and paleontology was not necessarily science itself, but rather how it was a part of all these other things that I loved. Um, the fact that it was in the movies I watched, the fact that it was in the books I read. You know, I remember one of the, another big fandom I have is I'm a part of is I love the Muppets and um, anything that Jim Henson does, not just the Muppets, but those big creatures that are in the Dark Crystal or in Labyrinth. I was always super interested as to like, wow, like how do they even think of these animals? But those, you know, those creatures draw inspiration from animals that we see around us, um, prehistoric life. And I think that for me, that's acknowledging how art, you know, influences our lives as scientists, I think is extremely important because I think it helps bring in more people. It helps sort of um, increase uh, inclusivity because often, you know, just because, you know, me and a peer of mine were both scientists, it doesn't necessarily mean that we'll be able to relate each other just by that one connection alone. Often it's, we have other interests and sometimes it's art. Sometimes it's, you know, movies. Sometimes we like reading the same comic books or we enjoy the same series. Um, I, I personally am very much, a uh, I, I support and I love, um, including art into sort of what was traditionally known as STEM, because I think it's just, it's, it acknowledges all the different types of people and all the different interests and the complexities of who we are as, you know, scientists within our own fields you know we're not just scientists we also enjoy all these other things and they help us connect with each other on multiple levels um so i, I i'm a huge fan of it i think it helps students learn it's helped me learn a lot um like i said whenever i see a series and i or some sort of creature on on film or someone i'm like that's really cool i wonder what got you know i wonder what inspired that i go in and i'm like oh i never even knew about this animal or that's really awesome i wonder how they sort of justify how you know an animal can fly in this series or something it's just i i think it's great yeah it's it's pretty cool i agree with Brittany that you know it's it it i think it was there previously and we kind of slowly kind of i think it's partially because like the arts started getting defunded in schools and because i remember like even over the course of my lifetime like when i was very a young kid in primary school we had like a music teacher and an arts and culture teacher and as i got older you know those type of roles kind of just disappeared at least in the school system in south africa but i do remember watching like movies that touched on this where it's like okay the the, the music class is about to go away or piano class is about to go away because it's getting um, defunded. So I think it's this general idea that, you know, the arts may be not like a safe bet for you to, to be, um, a safe field for you to be in to make money. And that's why uh, we kind of lost it. But I think it's, um, you know, like Brittany was saying, we kind of 
chunked things out into these pieces of the pie. And I think um, our lives are essentially a whole pie. You know, we're not one part of anything. Like we're a little bit of everything and losing the, the arts, you know, and essentially being a storytelling species, the stories, I think it's just become a thing over time. Um, so it's weird. So um, I'm glad it's it's starting to become important again and being pushed, um, as, especially being important in science. So what other geeky things do you guys do that's pretty obscure that like no one else likes to do? <laughs> uh, for me, one thing that I started kind of doing recently is I do Star Wars uh, toy figure photography. So I okay. buy um, the Star Wars Black Series six inch yeah. figures. Um, and then I do photography scenes with them to make them look like scenes from a movie. Uh, I've done, I have my own Instagram account for it now. I've only done a few photos, um, but that's something that I really love doing. That's kind of mm. super geeky um, and not a huge, like fat, not a huge base in there, but it's something that I really enjoy doing because it for me it lets me practice my photography lets me like create these really cool scenes and also i get to buy a bunch of star wars figures and call it art so (laughs) so for me i'm actually a fairly active member of the like vintage fashion community online (laughs) so i actually really enjoy dressing up in historical clothing um i have some clothing here uh that's like at least 100 years old i have clothing from the 1910s and the 1920s and the 30s um that i dress up in fairly regularly um i have reproduction clothing uh so yeah my thing is i dress up like i lived 100 years ago (laughs) um so i'll dress up in vintage (laughs) menswear menswear um when we could just still do that kind of thing i'd go to events uh for that i have friends all over the world uh we're active in that community so that's kind of my real icky thing is uh my favorite up. thing with that Brittany. <laughs> sorry my favorite thing with sorry. that is sometimes Brittany will be dressed up right and we're at like an event or something mm-hmm. and someone's like oh my god i love your costume and then i'm like that's just what she wears. She dresses up the way. <laughs> you know, I remember that from when I did a t- I did a talk at a bar um, in Los Angeles. So I did a really fun uh, talk, and I was dressed up in uppers, which are those like kind of action adventure nineteen twenties pants. You know, they're very wide at the hips, and they uh, they thin out towards the bottom, and and they go in a boot. So I had boots, jodhpurs, a waistcoat. Uh, I was wearing a tie, so and I had my hair at that time. Uh, in lockdown, it's gotten quite longer, but at the time, I had it cut in a 1920s bob. And yeah, somebody thought, like, you didn't say anything about your costume. And I was like, it's not a costume. <laughs> this is just what I look like. Yeah, I would. Uh, so I would say um, other geeky things I like to really do. Um, I'm so uh, Gabe and Brittany can probably both tell you I'm a very, very big fan of hip hop. Um, so I love listening to, uh, like nineties rap and I love listening to even a lot of the modern stuff too, but I love just listening to a song over and over until I know the words, until I know all the references. So often what I'll do is like, I'll listen to a song by an artist and I'll be like, ah, I know that reference because it's referencing something else. And I just, I I love listening, reading, watching documentaries. I just, I, I eat up hip hop history. Like, uh, like candy. It's just, it's, it's one of my favorite things to do. Um, 
also um i'm a really big fan of uh like i like watching sports with my brother um my brother and i both talk to each other about basketball or other things so it's a different kind of geeky i guess it's just uh sort of um outside of all the science fiction and books i like to read and whatnot but it's still really fun um uh, back to the music thing one of my favorite things to do is recognizing how geeky some of like my favorite hip-hop artists are in that they're constantly referencing <laughs> things that i love to do. like so it's like it blends in all of my interests so you have a hip-hop artist will start talking about marvel characters or they're still talking about other superheroes or transformers and like it's all mixing in and if you can catch all those little references it's just really fun it's like oh i didn't know that so and so was talking about decepticons in this one song that's really interesting mm. or you know it's just it, it's it's a fun uh it, it's a fun another like fandom i'm a part of so yeah yeah there, there's sometimes like references to anime in hip-hop which is really cool yeah um yeah Okay, I think we're going to end on this question now because it's for me. It's like half past one in the morning, and you guys are really busy. Oh man, <laughs> really busy. But if you guys had just a substantial budget uh, for your science outreach and science communication and education efforts, what are what are the types of like cool, like high tech, new age things would you be trying to do in this space? Oh, I know what I would do, or this is a dream I've already had, where we can where i would like to be able to take one of our pop-up museums maybe pro probably our star wars inspired galactic archive and make it so that we can like bring it to the max you know we'd have like the jedi like a replica of the jedi archives like we'll have like all lights and like all the great cosplays like all the animatronics in there and then we'll make it super portable so that we can just bring it anywhere they want us to. And for free, you know, I want to be able to bring it to schools, um, libraries, places where like science is really hard to access in the first place. Um, so bring it to, you know, very, very underserved communities um, and just be able to connect again, things that people love and educate them on science and have them to have these critical thinking opportunities that they may not have. So if we had, if I had an unlimited budget, I would basically rebuild the Jedi temple on wheels and bring that <laughs> everywhere to teach people. And I would just be dressed as a Jedi all day as a Jedi librarian, teaching younglings about the galaxy. Um, that's what I would do if we had an unlimited budget. Pretty cool. <laughs> What about you, Brittany? Kind of the same. I was taking it to larger venues, uh, more remote venues, um, like you said, where science is not as easily accessible um, is kind of the big thing, is just making it so that it can reach more people. Um, gosh, I would just like to buy all sorts of casts and 3D prints as big as we wanted and throw them all in a truck and just go across the country with it. That would be amazing. So yeah, kind of the same thing. Uh, just increase our reach um, and increase our effectiveness. Do you have any funky ideas, Isaac? Or is it the same? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I support what, what they're saying. I think it also would be really fun because, again, I live far away um, from Brittany and Gabe. I think it would be great to see uh, like other chapters and, you know, um working on some stuff with Gabe in, in Chicago and trying to get sort of a, a group started there that's very interested and wants to do these kinds of things. It'd be nice to see 
sort of groups outside of the main group picking up and and being just excited and doing similar things and empowering other um others of our peers or students who are just interested in in doing scientific outreach through their you know many diverse interests i think that that's one of the for me that that that's one of the uh that's one of the sort of my personal goals even sort of just at a at a more broader scale for myself is is not just what kind of impact can I have, but also what, how can I empower those around me to have an impact on their own communities? And I think that would be great. I would love to sort of support smaller um, communities and help build them up so that they can put on their own events and do all the other kind of stuff. I, I, I think that's what I would mm-hmm. like, like to a pay it forward type of thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Cool. And with that, I think it's time for us to pack up our little exploration camp here and head back to our labs and our and or fantasy worlds. But first, why don't you guys uh, let our fellow explorers know where they can find you guys and your work on the internet? Yeah. Um, so if you want to find out more about Cosplay for Science, you can check us out online. We have a website, um, cosplayforscience.com. Um, we are on Instagram and we have a Twitter as well. And you can find all of those through our Cosplay for Science site. Um, if you want to follow what I do, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram as at Paleo Paradox. Yeah, and uh, I am available um, on all social media platforms um, at Brit and Bone with the and spelled out. Yeah, and uh, I'm. You can obviously find me on some of the cosplay for science stuff, but I'm also available on my personal Instagram if you want to follow me. Um, I like to post some of my art stuff and other things I'm doing um, related to paleontology. It's thrashing underscore duende. Um, be excited to connect with some of you. All right, cool. Thank you guys so much for joining me, and thank you guys at home, the listeners, for sparing your time. I hope you guys are finding learning with us, and hopefully, you guys go and check out Cosplay for Science and learn from them. I hope you guys had fun. Uh, otherwise, stay safe, stay well, stay tuned, and cheers. Mm-hmm.